This is Sunny Hollywood Pooney with the Nightly News. From Nashville, the stories include a host is thrown out of a show at Creatures Fest. Three iconic members of Kistory share the stage for the first time. A cat comes out of retirement. Musicians become comedians and some weren't even planning on it. Will one artist stand above the rest? Who will represent Kiss best? Surprise, surprise. Did a host get body slammed by Chris Jericho? Did a nose get in the way of a kiss? We have the good, the bad, the waiting, the fun, the absurd, the waiting, the unique, the crazy, the waiting, and finally the ugly, all from Creatures Fest here on a special edition of Growing Up Rock. Now, crank it up. Hollywood. So <laughs> this is going to make headlines all over the world with the KISS world, I'm sure. There's been more reports on Nashville this past weekend than anyone can shake a stick at. Some of them are accurate. Some of them are completely false. Either way, I'm out of jail and I'm not living on a chain gang. So that's a good thing, right? That is right. What our intent today is, we are going to give you our story of what happened, what we saw at Creatures Fest. It most likely is not going to match other people's stories because when you get seven, 800, 900 people in a place, none of the stories are the same. So what's been put out there already, is it partially accurate? I'm sure. Is some of it not accurate? I'm pretty sure of that too. Yeah, and I think there'll be some crossover from various podcasts because some of us were all there together at the same time. So it's only our opinions and it'll be laced with just flat out facts because of stuff we were there. But then there's perception of how we all saw things. It should be complete. We'll go through each of the three days and, you know, go through the layout and the general information. And, you know, it, it should be fun and it should be complete and it should be entertaining. And that's what's important. But like all other episodes here at the Grown Up Rock podcast, we like to shed a little bit of light on new bands. So it's time for our Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. Crank me up! Crank me up! 
It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. So for tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight, we are featuring a band called Black Eye. Black Eye is a new project on Frontiers Record that features uh, the vocalist David Redman. If you don't know that name, David Redman was the singer in Pink Cream 69 and also a band that I love called Voodoo Circle. And this is their debut album. It's self-titled. It came out on May 6th. So check out the song Hurricane.
So great riff. I like that little mini guitar solo at the beginning. I love all the guitar fills that Aldo and Luca are doing. They're absolutely killing it. And I'm a sucker for the pinch harmonics. That when they go to double bass, good Lord, does it pierce through the mix, which is really cool. I'm hoping that the rest of the album is good as this song because I really enjoyed this song. Well, I haven't spent a ton of time with this record just being real because it's fairly new and just came out and I haven't had time. But I did go through the record a couple of times briefly. And if you like Hurricane, Hurricane is the lead off track for the record. Then I think you're going to find other stuff that you like on the record. It's fairly heavy. Uh, it's definitely heavier than Pink Cream 69 and Voodoo Circle. So I liken it to be somewhere in the vein of like a Judas Priest uh, firepower in terms of heaviness, uh, not necessarily sounding, but that's kind of about as heavy as it is. So if you dug Hurricane, then you'll probably like a lot of other tunes off this record. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like. And leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Okay, so before we get to our main discussion, because there might have been jail time later, which we'll get to, I wanted to go over six jail terms and want to know if you know what they mean. So you up for that? Uh, sure. All right. So you give me your thoughts on what you think all day means as a jail term. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, out in the yard all day. Okay. So all day means life sentence. Okay. These are jail terms. When you're in jail, you need to know these. Okay. I'm surprised you don't know these. Okay. <laughs> break fluid. What do you think break fluid means? Uh, that is homemade alcohol that they make to drink. That is incorrect. That was good. They are actually your psych meds. What do you think a chin check is? That is when a guard swipes you with the nightstick just to keep you in line and keep you awake. That's a really good guess. It's wrong, but that was good. It's to punch another inmate in the jaw to see if he or she will fight back. That's what a chin check is. Okay. What do you think dance on the blacktop means? This is a weekly competition that the inmates have on the basketball court to pick up extra cigarettes and uh, food credits. Also, another good guess, that would be incorrect. Dance on the blacktop means getting stabbed. Where I come from, we just call that shanking. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to love your definition for the next one. Monkey mouth. <laughs> Monkey mouth. 
So a monkey mouth is actually when an inmate has a conjugal visit, the person that's coming to visit them actually loads up with cigarettes and contraband and paraphernalia and gives it to the inmate to hide in their mouth before they go back to their cell. That's very interesting, but that's not correct. (laughs) Monkey Mount is a prisoner who talks on and on about nothing. You should actually know a lot about that, by the way. Anyway, (laughs) and the last one I got for you, Ninja Turtles. This should be an easy one. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Is that a fact? (laughs) Ninja Turtles are inmates that work for the uh, head guy in the prison block. And they're essentially his personal assassins that go out to shank people to keep them in line. Another good guess. Incorrect. (laughs) Ninja Turtles are prison guards who are dressed in full riot gear. And look like turtles. Okay, that actually makes sense. (laughs) That's the first one that makes sense. So the next time you're in jail, I hope you dance on the blacktop. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As long as nobody's getting salads tossed. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And just like that, we're into our (laughs) review of Creature Fest. (laughs) Tell how you beat on the cop. Wasn't no cop, man. It was cops. Plural. Nine, ten cops. Beat the shit out of ten cops and had to change my whole strategy around. Yo, when they brought you in here and booked you, you was crying like a pussy. Yeah. That's because it's one of the cops fell. He threw tear gas in my face. And that's the kind of shit they use on crowds, man. I still walking in here like a man, so get out of my face, all right? I mean, you, you beating up on a man? You putting a man in a hospital? How come I don't see no marks on you? Yeah. Because I'm a karate man, all right? Karate man bruise on the inside. They don't show their weaknesses. All right, so let's go over some uh, general info. Uh, On the trip, I actually got in on Thursday. My brother got in on Thursday. We checked out Broadway that night, went to this place called Headquarters Beer Cade, played trivia and arcade that night. My niece was in town, so we met up with my uh, niece. You came in on Friday, right? We got in on a Friday morning. We left early Friday from uh, Atlanta and drove up. It's a short drive, four hours. We went straight to the Creatures Fest Hotel because we're actually weren't staying at the hotel. We were staying at a hotel at a Hyatt place, probably two and a half miles away. We used points for the stay, so it was a sort of a cheap vacation for us, which was helpful. It would have been nice to stay in the hotel where everything was going on, but honestly, it wasn't that bad or that inconvenient, so... We went straight to the Creatures Fest Hotel and we checked in to the actual festival thing. We picked up our wristbands and as far as I'm concerned, the check-in was like super easy. I mean, we didn't have to wait in line or anything. We walked right up with our papers and she scanned them and fastened our uh, wristbands to our wrist. So it was done like that. Yeah, check-in for Creatures Fest was a piece of cake. Check-in for the hotel at Sonesta was honestly a piece of cake. We actually went to the hotel after I picked up Danny, and we're going to go get something to eat afterwards. And But we got to the hotel like at 12.30, 12.45, so we're like, there's no way our room is ready. And our room was ready. So they let us check in and gave us the keys and everything. I thought that was great. And the nice part about Sonesta and the way the parking lot is set up is you can stay somewhere else if there's some sort of event at Sonesta because they don't charge for parking in and out. So it's pretty easy if you have a car. 
yeah, it was super sweet and there was plenty of parking. We never had a problem finding a place. And, you know, as luck would have it, our hotel room over at uh, Hyatt Place was uh, also ready uh, when we checked in at like 1130. So it was win-win for uh, both of us, it sounds like. Yeah. The Sinesta, the facilities are wonderful. There's an indoor-outdoor pool, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. Um, there's a restaurant there, full service. They've got a little snack thingy place where you can buy candy, blah, blah, blah. The restaurant, unlike some of the other events that we have been to at times, the restaurant trade opened pretty late. The bar was open. Food was open. It wasn't open all night, but I don't think you can expect it to be open all night. But it did well with serving the food and getting it out in a timely manner, at least to me. And the way the buildings were laid out, there was one main uh, I would say, I'll say conference room, but it was probably like four different conference rooms just opened up to make one big one. And that's where all really the nightly concerts were. And then there was a across the way. So if you've ever been to one of these hotels where it seems like there's like a, it's almost like a shed or like this permanent white tarp building type looking thing. Usually it's set up for like wedding receptions and that kind of thing. And that's where Expo City was. So that's where all the daytime things were happening at. And then they had some separate conference rooms for all the meet and greets and stuff. Would you say that's pretty accurate? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I really enjoyed it because it was simple to navigate. I mean, it was exactly as you said, one huge conference room that was a concert hall, a security bike rack running through the middle of it. So you had VIP section up front by the stage, and then you had everybody else behind the bike rack for the rest of the venue. And then they had this, um, what they called the Cumberland Room, just like Sonny said, and it had a stage in it as well, but that was where Expo City was. And then they had some concerts and things like that that took place on the stage throughout the course of the day. So super simple to navigate and super accommodating. I mean, I think it was plenty of room for everything that went on in both of those places. Yeah. And the way the nightly concerts were set up is if you were VIP, if you had the VIP ticket, then you were in the front half of where the audience would be. And if you had the general admission ticket, you would be on the back half, but really there was no chairs. Everybody's standing up. What was interesting is there wasn't as many VIPs, at least all in the one same place anyway, as there was seemed like general admission. So there was always like this buffer space between where the VIPs ended and the general admission started. I thought that was a little interesting, but uh, it's kind of how it was set up. Yeah. And if you were a drinker, they had plenty of what I would call satellite bars all around the facility. So you didn't have to just go to a regular bar in the hotel. They had these little satellites and the way they were running it is you would go purchase these drink tickets from these just little cash register thingies that they had somebody at and and then take the drink ticket to the satellite bar and get what you wanted. And I think drink prices were pretty much standard with what you might expect at a hotel bar. So Concert security, so it depends on who you talk to. Here's my opinion about concert security. I thought it was plentiful. I thought they did a good job with it. I met one of the guys, a 32-year Marine. We talked to him for a little while, and he's like, this is the easiest job I've ever had. Everybody's so nice. Now, that guy was volunteering his time, so I don't know how much of the concert security was volunteering and how much got paid. But for the big guys, there was more security kind of with them taking them to places Ace can't just go out and get a sandwich. Like, he'll get mobbed, right? So he's got to have security. But it wasn't, unless the big guys were playing or we were going into the nightly concerts, 
I would say security was around, but they weren't overpowering. Like they weren't everywhere to where you felt like you were going to be scared, if that makes sense. I'll talk about concert security a little bit here, but I'll refer to it a little bit later on in the episode. So my perception of concert security is exactly what you said in terms of concert security was only really present during the nightly concerts. During the day, it looked like pretty much it was Creature Fest staff and then hotel security. And it was, you know, it was kind of there just doing their thing, but it wasn't over the top at all. When it was time to do the concert security, my perception is it was very over the top. So here's what I mean by that. They had plenty of bodies, but almost... 90% of all the concert security I saw were all armed, like strapping, uh, which is not very typical for concert security. I mean, if you go to a concert at any arena or shed, you'll see Live Nation security or whoever happens to be running that uh, amphitheater or arena, whether it's access tickets or whatever. And their concert security, they don't strap. They usually have uh, local police officers on hand. So you will have concert security and then you'll have, you know, three or four uniformed officers there to kind of keep the peace should anything really escalate. But typically you don't want armed concert security because if you have a drunk patron, let's say, for instance, that's drunk and gets into a scuffle with one of your security guys, you don't want them to be able to a grab a gun from your security guy or B have your security guy have to pull a gun on them for a fight for a drunken fight at that. So typically they don't strap. So I really thought that this was strange and very over the top. In addition to that, they were basically checking everybody that walked into the concert thing at a hotel, which is kind of weird. I've never seen that before. They weren't allowing any bags. They weren't allowing any drinks. So you couldn't bring a bottle of water in nothing. You had to basically walk into the concert thing. And the weird thing is that the bathrooms were on the outside. So every time you had to go to the bathroom, you had to leave where you came through security, go to the bathroom, and then come back through security. And I just thought that was really laid out, really shitty, basically. It was a strange, over-the-top setup in terms of security. That's just my personal opinion, my thoughts. Uh, Let's talk about communication real quick. So most of the communication that we got with Creatures Fest, I don't know if there was an app. If there was an app, I didn't use it. If something changed, you got an email. So Neil Mm -hmm. sent a couple of emails. There was a couple of times where Neil said some things on stage where you checked in was open quite a bit. So you could get your questions answered there. And I will tell you, Rosie Luck, who was helping with the operational execution of this whole thing, she seemed like she was literally everywhere all the time. I'm not exactly (laughs) sure how, but she seemed like she was everywhere, right? I will second that. Yes, Rosie Luck was everywhere all the time. I saw her more than I saw any other single Creatures Fest person the entire weekend. She was definitely all over the place. And yes, the check-in place was almost always open. I got emails telling me what was going on. I thought the communication overall was very good. Like, I knew what to expect. I knew before I checked in, I had to have paper tickets. It wasn't going to be good enough on my phone. 
I knew pretty much everything I needed to know for the most part. Now, there were a lot of changes that happened throughout the course of the weekend, and most of them, if not all of them, for the most part, were communicated as well as could be expected based on uh, when it happened. There were a couple of things, which we'll talk about later, that was absolutely absurd, but I'll get to those when I get to them. Meet and greet wise, um, so that way we don't have to talk about it later and concentrate on the bands. Uh, I know you didn't do any. I did three. So I did one with Vixen, uh, one with Jericho, and one with Todd and Brent. The Todd and Brent one and the Jericho one we'll talk about a little bit later. The Vixen one was awesome, right? And the reason I did the meet and greets, honestly, was just to support these guys. They're auxiliary bands, honestly, and you know they're coming off a tour to do some of this stuff and uh, reality is they work hard, like a Todd and Brent, man. They work hard at what they do. Like, if there's a way I can support them, I'll do it. Vixen, all four ladies were super nice. They took two pictures each. The pictures were available. They're already available on the website. Like, I can download them. I can download everybody's picture if I want to, right? They're all available to you, which is awesome. And it was quick, so you didn't have to wait, like, two weeks or whatever. Sometimes you have to do that on a cruise. You didn't have to do that this time. And uh, Brit said, hey, she'd come on the podcast anytime we want her. She remembered and she enjoyed being on the podcast. What was that, a year and a half or so ago? And mm-hmm. uh, she remembered it, which I thought was great. And like I said, they treated everybody very, very well. Um, so the Vixen meet and greet was awesome. I'll talk about the other two a little bit later. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we typically don't do meet and greets for the most part just because, I mean, I don't collect autographs and stuff like that. So there's really nothing for me to collect. And uh, my wife, she really doesn't care one way or another. So I've heard a lot of interesting things about some of the meet and greets. Sonny already chimed in on his, and I can't give you any facts about any of the other ones other than my perception is there were several meet and greets where I saw people standing in line for literally hours, like the same people. And so I don't know what was going on there, but if I went to a festival that lasted three days and I sat in line for a day of that three days altogether, like I would not be excited about that. So again, I don't know all the details. That was just my perception and what I saw firsthand. And that's why I typically stay away from the big boys like Peter or Vinny or Ace. Those are the three big boys, honestly. Everybody that's in attendance wants a piece of them. So those lines are going to be huge. Where the Todd and Brent thing I did was very, very intimate. The Vixen thing I did was like, I think there was 70 people total, which is awesome. That is awesome. And one of the weird things that I did hear that was fact on some of the big boys is that if you signed up for a meet and greet, you got something signed and you got a picture. But the way that they did it, you stood in line for your meet and greet, you got your autograph, and then you had to come back at a later time to stand in line again for your picture. I thought that was really weird. That was actual fact. A couple people said that's how they did it. So So all the meet and greets were that way. So Vixen was that way. Jericho was that way. I will tell you, it actually is a great idea. And now what happened with the three that I went to, the photo was first. So what they did was got everybody through the photo. That way, the guys didn't have to get up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, or you get them only sitting for the picture. And these guys were all standing for the picture. So honestly, it actually, to me, it went smoother. Okay. Well, there you go. That's good to know. I just, on the surface, it sounds like really sort of a hassle, but uh, what you say makes sense. I will tell you that the pictures that they had set up, at least with Peter, was freaking awesome. Like to have him behind the set with the two cats. I think that's freaking fantastic. And then before we get to the bands, let's just talk about the vendors. So Expo City. So like we said, there's two big separate rooms, right? 
if you can, well, you can't close your eyes if you're driving, but if you can kind of imagine this as I set it up, let's say it's a rectangular room. The first half of it is there's a stage with some back line in the back and there's a bathroom in the back, whatever. And then in front of it, there's space open for people to stand. You could probably fit three to 400 people there if you really wanted tight quarters, but most likely it's about 100 to 150 people there. And then the inside walls of the venue are lined with vendors and you've got artists there, you've got podcasters there, you've got some mini meet and greets happening there with folks like the Demon Wrestler and like PJ Farley was selling CDs and Karabi was selling Scream albums and that kind of stuff. And then you've got a little bit of the inside of the back half of that venue also with vendors. So you can buy anything from Kiss toilet paper <laughs> to a Dynasty box set bootleg thingy. You could buy Eric Carr gold albums for 850 bucks. Like anything you would think of that a crazy Kiss fan would want, you could probably pick up in this area. And I thought they did a good job with it. And if you wanted food, you had to go out. If you wanted drink, you had to go out. That stuff's not in there. Uh, but I thought it was set up pretty well. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, they even had some items that weren't necessarily KISS related. I mean, they had some album vendors and some cassette vendors and people like that where it wasn't all KISS. They were selling guitars. I know Brian Forsyth from Kicks was at one of the guitar booths and he would do pictures and signings and stuff like that. So yeah, I thought it was very cool. It probably wasn't as huge as some of the Kiss Expo merchandising things that they've had in the past, but I thought it was plenty big for me. Why are you arresting me? All right, so let's go to day one, which was Friday. So Friday started with this thing called Kiss Unplugged. Basically what the thought process was is there would be a band that's put together with some special guests kind of going in and out and they would do the entire 95 kiss unplugged album from start to finish there were some talks about you know are they going to do got to choose because it's on the japanese release they did end up doing that and we'll kind of talk about what the set list was but the main part of that band was joey casado on drums brandon fields on guitar and remember this is unplugged so these guys are all on guitar basically steve brown on guitar and then brennan from sister's doll i think bounced between bass and guitar depending on the song and the way this was set up is like we talked about there's an indoor pool and outdoor pool that connects they were on the back side of the outdoor pool so you could be all standing around the pool and just kind of watching what's going on and there's plenty of videos of this all over youtube and blah 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 um, so i thought it was a pretty good setup what did you think about the setup yeah, the setup was fine. There's nothing wrong with the setup at all for that type of situation. You know, yeah, it was good. So one of the draws on this Kiss Unplugged was there was supposed to be a special section and you were supposed to be able to do a meet and greet and sit with Carrie Stevens. That was part of what was going to happen at the Unplugged set. Carrie did not make this convention because she got sick and she tweeted a couple of times while festivities were going on Friday, Saturday, Sunday to apologize. She really wanted to be there. And honestly, she almost felt worse at the tail end of the weekend than she did when she kind of didn't come to begin with. So it's probably a good idea. She stayed away. I don't know what the sickness was. I'm not a expert in all that stuff. You go find that stuff out on your own, unless you heard something. I think it's all conjecture what we heard. I don't know that I heard anything in particular. Maybe I heard the C word COVID. Yeah. That, that C word, but uh, I, you know, I don't know for sure. So on this unplugged set, so here's the set, and then we'll kind of stop in a couple of places. So, of course, they opened with Coming Home. It's just like the album. Went to Plastercaster, 
going blind, do you love me, Domino. And then all of the band that was there, Joey, Brandon, Steve, and Brennan, all those guys left and Bruce Kulick's band came. So now you get Brent on drums, Todd on vocals and guitar, you've got Zach on bass, and you've got Bruce on guitar. They came at an interesting time because they did Sure Know Something, which we thought was interesting because technically Bruce has nothing to do with that, A World Without Heroes, and then Lisa, Bruce's wife, came and sang Rock Bottom. So he totally threw off the crowd by coming and doing songs that he actually wasn't involved with writing or performing on their original albums. And honestly, I can tell you, I thought that was kind of cool. What did you think about that? Uh, Yeah, it was definitely different. I mean, my only overall comment regarding this was the sound wasn't exactly great. Certain guitars couldn't get up and working or weren't loud enough or vocals might not have been loud at certain times. To me, it just inhibited my enjoyment as much as I would have liked to have enjoyed it. But I thought it was okay. It was definitely left field if the overall ideal was MTV Unplugged. That was a, a left field thing. And then the initial band comes back. They do Got to Choose. And they're about to do See You Tonight. And you see Chips Enough come up and grab the bass. And I swear, he stood completely still, looked straight ahead, played the bass, and literally looked like a statue. Chip looked like a train wreck up there. Was he hammered? <laughs> like, what was going on there? I don't know. There were several moments like that when they were switching in and out people that felt a little weird. That was definitely one of them. So, yeah, I can't tell me again. What did they play? I'm trying to remember. See you tonight. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Meh. Meh. So then the next song comes and I was very interested in this because the next song is I Still Love You. And on Kiss Unplugged, Paul absolutely kills the vocal. Like, he is singing in the stratosphere. There's all kinds of passion. I just got goosebumps even talking about it. It's one of the best versions you'll ever hear of I Still Love You. So they enlisted Brennan, who's the singer for Sister's Doll, to sing. And I'm like, oh, my God, this Australian kid has no clue what he's up against here. Because obviously, he's heard the song before. Obviously, he knows how hard it is. But you got these Kiss Crazy fans in the crowd that will literally verbally boo him if he doesn't do well right let's let's be real right i mean these guys they can be tough i can be tough yeah brennan absolutely killed that song whole new appreciation for sisters doll after that i bought everything they had on the table the night they played just because of how he sang i still love you what did you think about that rendition yeah, I think he did his best. He did a fantastic job at that because, yeah, yeah it's a, wow. That was a very soulful and passionate rendition of it. Was it perfect? No, I didn't think it was perfect, but I thought it was very valiant effort, and I thought uh, he should be uh, commended on that for sure. So then we get every time I look at you, everything's fine there. And then, well, 2000 Man's supposed to be next. Unplugged, you get, you know, we got some members of the family here. So here comes Ace through the crowd with a bunch of security guards because, of course, Ace is going to get mobbed if he's he can't just walk into the crowd himself. Gets up there, gets set up. He does this weird kind of, I'm going to say, a quarter turn back that Joey didn't really notice. And Joey didn't really know when they were going to start. And then Ace starts. And then Joey realizes he had started. So Joey starts on drums. And they're a little bit off time there for probably about 10 seconds. And then they catch up to ace 
and they do 2000 man and then you know the the song's going fine and then you know i'm a 2000 man i'm a 2000 man and then you're supposed to get the 2000 and it's supposed to end and i think ace either decided to end it a second time or he forgot he had just sang the last part of the song and went again. And Joey and the guys are all looking at each other going, all right, guess we're going around the bend one more time. And he did that whole end again. And Joey even said, are we going a third time or what are we doing here? And Ace actually ended. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I think Ace even skipped a verse or something, didn't he? <laughs> I don't know. I was I was laughing at Ace the entire time, so I'm not even sure. I mean, Ace is a lot like a Muppet, isn't he? <laughs> it's, it's just, Ace, walk this way. Ace, get up here. Ace, sit down here. I I feel I almost feel bad for him sometimes because I feel like people are parading him around. Look, I guess he wouldn't be there if he didn't want to be. But he's he's just. I just uh, you know what? I just. Ace makes me laugh. That's all I can say is Ace makes me laugh. I, he has my utmost respect, but he's he's fun. <laughs> um, so after Ace does 2000 Man, he leaves and Joey sings Beth. I thought Joey did a good job singing Beth. They do Nothing to Lose. Joey did all the parts that Peter would normally mm-hmm. do on Nothing to Lose. And then they close it out, of course, with Rockin' All Night. And there were some kids and stuff that joined on stage that, you know, just kind of as a celebration. But Ace never came back after 2000 Man. He left. It wasn't like Kiss Unplugged where he came back. So all in all, I thought it was a pretty good set. You know, the sound issues, yeah, they had some of those out there. But uh, overall, I thought it was a pretty good set. Yeah, it was fun. We had, we you know, we had nice weather. And uh, it, aside from, we, we had lots of laughs, uh, cracking jokes left and right with all the guys that were around, the Shout Out Loudcast guys and Brad Rustovan. And I swear to God, if I had to listen to that kid that was right behind us singing at the top of his lungs in the most awful tone death way, I was going to lose it. I swear to God. I think, to be fair, I think the guy was on the spectrum a little bit. So he wasn't all there, but Jesus, it was awful. He was screaming at the top of his lungs and it sounded like the worst version of Ace you could ever imagine. And it was just not good. So after Unplugged, we got a little bit of downtime and then the evening is going to start. And the first band on stage Friday evening was Cor Rosick. To me, they were okay. They had good energy. Like, I don't know anything about Cor Rosick. They were trying to be like somewhere between Monster Magnet and I think um, maybe Black Label, maybe Rob Zombie, probably more like Rob Zombie, I guess. Mm-hmm. He didn't really have makeup on, though. They did this weird medley in the middle. Ain't talking about love. Everybody have fun tonight by Wang Chung, working for the weekend, and then born in the USA, and then closed out with Ain't Talking About Love. And I'm going to be honest. I don't like Born in the USA, and I didn't think it could be done any worse than Bruce does it, but I found out that Core can do it worse. <laughs> I think I texted you in the middle of this set with uh, just brutal. I, <laughs> I mean, listen, here's here, were, here was my perception. Yes, they had energy. That's a nice thing. I think that it was somewhere in between Black Label and Alice Cooper and Rob Zombie. I don't know. There was definitely a lot of theatrics involved. At one point, the guy bought a briefcase out. I told Sonny, is he promoting going to work? Because I don't know. Either that or he's playing the 
Howie Mandel game. And then he opened it up and threw a bunch of fake money out in the crowd. And I said, yeah, he's promoting the Howie Mandel game. And then <laughs> I just, I felt like he had zero confidence as a front man, but he really, really wanted it. Like he was looking for everybody's approval and everybody's attention. And basically that's how it was the entire weekend when he walked around. Cause he was always walking around and he was always by himself. And I didn't really see him talk, stop and talk to people that much, but it was just a little uncomfortable and a little weird for me. Like I understood he really wanted to have theatrics, but it was just, it was meh for me. So yeah, the one song had the briefcase. You missed the song with the voodoo doll? Uh, no, I think I saw that too. How about the one with a hammer? He had a song with a hammer. Uh, that one, I don't remember. Yeah. He was carrying a hammer for a while. Okay. And then in the end, he had this like weird little shaker thing uh-huh. and he cast a spell on everybody at the end and cured COVID. No, yeah, to him. I did see that. That's right. I forgot about that. What, what that was is, is, and, and Catholics will know this. It's the thing that you, the priest put the holy water in and sprinkled the holy water on the crowd. That's what that is. And so, yes, he said he was going to cure COVID and he sprinkled water on the crowd. And so basically this guy was the carrot top of rock and roll, right? Because he had all the props and stuff. So that's that's pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> and then let me, because this next story, uh, just next fact, it won't make sense unless I set it up a little bit. So Cole Rozick, who is the singer, he's dressed in, you know, he's a big guy. He's dressed in leather. He's got, sometimes he's got the top hat on, a little bit slashish kind of thing. You got the guys in, you know, one's almost like a younger Vivian Campbell looking guy with short hair. The other guy's, you know, dressed in t-shirt and leather and they've got smoke everywhere and they've got cool, you know, they, the Cole Rozick logo is pretty cool. So they had a couple of scrims of that. And so they're trying to set up kind of like this apocalyptic, you know, scary horror type of thing. Well, one of the guitarists, when they started, had a mask on. And it was one of those, like, uh, it was almost like a, a Jason hockey mask, but it was black. Uh-huh. So you could only see his eyes. It wasn't like he was, I, I didn't know if he was doing it because of COVID or if he was doing it just to play a part. Right. Well, later on, he takes a mask off. I don't know that guy, and I'm sure his wife loves him, but you should have left the mask on. But that's beside <laughs> the point. Then we noticed that he took the mask off so he could drink. And what he was drinking was a truly. <laughs> well, so, at least it wasn't a white claw. <laughs> so Ross Tilvin goes, is he drinking a truly? And there's smoke coming out of the back of him right now. <laughs> we thought that was funny. True rock and rollers drink truly. <laughs> yeah, I guess. All right. So Corraza gets done. Next up is Karabi. And I will tell you. Karabi absolutely killed. The set was good. He was hilarious because he took a couple of shots at the people in the back of the room, which since you were at the back of the room, why don't you tell them what the shots were? (laughs) Yeah. So basically Karabi uh, broke down the room into the country clubbers up at the front of the room and the government cheeses in the back of the room. So everybody that was behind the barricade, we were the government cheesers. (laughs) We couldn't afford the uh, country club tickets. So yeah, I thought Karabi sounded amazing. Like after hearing about his last set on Monsters of Rock, where he had been just ragged, his voice was dragged out he uh this is the first opportunity we've seen him since then and he was just he was 
powerful on song uh, and just uh, just well rested. He sounded really, really good. Uh, my wife's only comment was she she enjoyed it. She just wished he'd change up his set a little bit more because uh, he does the same set a lot of the times on Monsters of Rock. So she would have liked to have heard some other material a little bit, but I thought it was great. Yeah, I would say for the listener, if you have a chance to go see John Karabi live acoustic, it is well worth it. The guy is hilarious. <laughs> so he goes, all right, so I need help singing this one. You poor people in the back, since you don't got anything better to do. <laughs> oh, my God, dude, he was killing me. Yeah. That general admission ticket wasn't that cheap to wear a government cheese, but obviously he knew there was a separation in the crowd for sure. Well, they made that pretty clear, right? They had a big bike rack that ran through the middle of the room, uh, and they were serious about keeping people out of it. So there was definitely separation. It was not a unified crowd at all. And then the next band up was Enough's Enough, and I went and got a sandwich. (laughs) Actually, prime rib quesadillas. They were awesome. <laughs> no, no surprise there. Sunny Exta's building with Enough's Enough. I caught a few songs because I like Enough's Enough. I thought Enough's Enough was a little bit better on the boat than they were here. Actually, I think my wife said the opposite. She thought they were a little better here than they were on the boat. But I like their music. You know, if you don't like Enough's Enough music, you're not going to dig it. But I do. So I thought they were decent. So then after Enough's Enough's off, you get the first headliner of the weekend, Ace Fraley. So the set list was Rocket Ride, Parasite, Strutter, She, Detroit Rock City, and then comes Hard Luck Woman with Peter joining them on stage, which I thought Peter did well. Then he got onto the drum set and they played Strange Ways together, which I thought Peter did well. Now we'll stop there for a second because on Hard Luck Woman, Peter did well. Ace was completely lost on the track. I don't know. I was watching Ace. He was all over the fretboard. I don't even know if he was drumming. Like, I don't think he knew where he was. <laughs> I don't know. There were a few sound technical difficulties with the Ace set. I heard a lot of people complaining that it was too loud the entire weekend. I mean, I wore earplugs the whole time because in those rooms, it tends to get pretty loud for sure. I definitely thought the sound might have been a little bit better with the Ace uh, set, but I was really, really, really surprised that Peter played drums because, I mean, you have to see Peter throughout the course of the weekend whenever he showed up to an event. They seemed like they were helping him walk a lot of the times. Now, I mean, look, he could walk on his own, but they definitely helped him up and down off of different things and different levels and stuff like that. I mean, so for him to get behind the drum set and actually be able to play, I mean, look, he wasn't John Bonham back there by any stretch of the imagination, but he was able to keep a beat and he was able to play and he was able to sing. So hats off to Peter Chris uh, for the weekend. Uh, and Ace's band is great as always. I mean, he's got a fantastic band. So they also did Emerald, which I gotta <laughs> be honest, Emerald was not good. They did New York Groove, shocked me, got the smoking guitar solo, of course, cold gin and deuce. Ace's band kills. I love all those guys. I got nothing against those guys. Ace was a little off that night. Ace did not sound great to me. Yeah. I mean, I would second that. I don't know how much of it was the sound and how much of it was an ace, but yeah, definitely meh. (laughs) (laughs) Let me say this. This is the end of day one. This is the end of the night, the last show for the night. My takeaway from this first night 
is simply this. With the majority of KISS fanatics in their probably 50s, 60s, and up, it seems a little much to have an entire weekend of concerts and events with really nowhere to sit. I mean, there were a few chairs out in the lobby, and that was basically it. And this is one of the reasons why I don't personally, I don't do festivals and things like that. That's why I love like Monsters of Rock so much, because you have the option of standing or sitting wherever you go. It's rough to me to think about that. And I mean, I saw a lot of people that were having difficulties and issues. And yes, many of us are not in the greatest of shape. I I am one of those people, but it's still just rough to stand on your feet for six hours at a time, seven hours at a time to watch concerts. I had to keep leaving the concert hall and going out to the uh, lobby where the concert hall was and trying to find a place to sit down. There were a lot of people sitting on the ground and, and stuff like that. But as Sonny said, if I get down on that ground, I'm not getting back up. <laughs> so uh, that's just how it is. But that was my one main takeaway from day one, which didn't change the entire weekend. Obviously, that stayed the same. But anyway. Yeah, it's a choice that's made, right? Because we don't know what the seating capacity would have been there versus the standing capacity. And then it's like, you know, would you rather have a chair, 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 chair? So you're kind of squeezed in sitting next to somebody And then some people are going to be standing anyway, and some people are going to be sitting. So, like, I don't know. It's 50-50 to me. Yeah, I think if I had to do it, and you don't want to suck up a bunch of the capacity because those rooms, you know, those rooms aren't huge. My thought process would have been they had chairs because it's a hotel. You know they have chairs. It's conference rooms on the regular. I would have lined chairs across the back wall. And then people at least had the option. Now, would it seat everybody in the crowd? No, of course not. But everybody in the crowd is not going to want to sit anyway. And it would have at least given somebody an option should they have needed to sit from time to time without having to leave the actual concert hall. That would have been my thought. And they could have done that and not given up a whole bunch of room with just lining the back wall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's a good point. That's a good point. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so let's take a break from our daily diary of this crazy kiss weekend and just share with you guys a couple of ways you can help out the podcast. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, go leave us a five-star review at Podchaser or at Apple Podcasts. The links are in the show notes. Hit them on your phone. Go leave us a five-star review. It takes you two seconds, and it helps out the podcast greatly. The more five-star reviews we get, the better we show up in a lot of people's feeds, and that helps get the word out on the Grown Up Rock podcast. If you want to leave us a two-star review, then just keep on scrolling. Don't do that. That hurts <laughs> us. <laughs> so we, we don't need that kind of publicity. Anyway, that's free and easy. The other way that you can communicate with us is you can always send us an email at growinguprock at gmail.com. That's easy enough, and we get all the emails, and we communicate with you that way. And the last and final way is that if you are a Facebook user, 
A lot of you are not, but if you happen to be one, you can go over to the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group and join the Facebook group. It is a private group. And where I want to say we're very exclusive in who we let in, that would be total bullshit because we pretty much let anybody in that answers our rock and roll questions. If you come in there and start trying to sell product and crap like that, you're getting kicked out. But if you want to come in and talk to us about rock and roll and talk to us about the podcast and episodes and things like that and ideas about the podcast, by all means, come on over. That, my friends, is my public service announcement for this episode. Now back to Kiss Talk, baby. Okay, so we move over to Saturday. And these were when I did all my meet and greets. This was the day. So I did uh, Vixen, did Jericho, and we'll talk about Jericho here in a little while. And the first thing band-wise was this all-star jam band. And I'll tell you that the all-star band, it was pretty much just like any a thing in Nashville where a bunch of musicians get together that know each other and, and maybe have played together a little bit before, or maybe they have never done it. And they'll just do songs you know, and it's kind of like a cover band uh, on steroids a little bit, right? It's not just five guys you never heard of up there doing whatever. It's people that you kind of know going up there doing songs you kind of know. And in the middle of that, Minefield, for the first time, Todd Kern's band, got together and did a couple of songs. And I thought all of it sounded pretty good. Yeah, I would agree. I always enjoy the all-star jam bands. Probably the only downside to these jams is is when they switch out people after every song. It tends to get a little bit long because people are trying to figure out their gear and stuff like that. So sometimes it's a little bit lengthy, but it's fun. Uh, like I said, you see people that you know playing songs you know. So it's a, it's a good time for sure. And then next, we got quarantine. So for most of us, it was the first time we had seen quarantine. Uh, that's Chris Jericho on vocals. You got PJ Farley on bass. You got Joe McGinnis on guitar. You have a guy named Charlie Barra, who's from South America. He was also on guitar. And I think they pick up a second guitarist, but I don't know if he played on the stuff that they released. And you got Kent Slucher on drums. So quarantine comes out and, you know, you don't really know what to expect. You know what Jericho kind of sounds like because you know about Fozzie. And these guys haven't played much together. And, you know, they just haven't had a ton of time to practice. But I'll tell you, here was the set list. Love's a Deadly Weapon. Heaven's on Fire. Bruce joined him on stage to do Heart of Chrome. Thou Shalt Not. Domino. I Just Wanna. No, No, No. Silver Spoon. Who Wants to Be Lonely. Uh, all Night. Lick It Up. First of all. That's a pretty damn good set because they were sticking to 80s Kiss. But then Jericho, first, his stage presence is outstanding. I've never seen Fozzie live. Jericho's stage presence, outstanding. And then he did a bunch of the classic Paul raps, which I thought was amazing. What'd you think of that? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It put a smile on my face. I had to make sure I explained to my wife. I said, you know, he's just, he's flat out copping Paul Stanley's 
uh, stage banter because otherwise she might have thought Jericho was cheesy as shit. But nope, <laughs> Jericho was just flat out uh, riffing on Paul Stanley's stage banter. And I thought they were really good. The energy was incredible. Like the high amount of energy coming off the stage from the entire band uh, was fantastic. And Joe McGinnis, God damn, you're a good guitar player. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Both guitar players were great, but Joe McGinnis, you're a really good guitar player. And if you don't know Joe McGinnis, he's been on our show a couple of times and uh, he's part of Classic 78, which we've played before here on the podcast. He's a great dude to begin with, but he's a really good guitar player as well. Yeah, I thought Joe was great too. Man, some of those Bruce solos, note for note. I, I talked to Joe afterwards. I'm like, dude, you practiced that for months. He goes, yeah, it took a while. Yeah, well, he pulled it off because it sounded fantastic. And they sounded pretty good overall as far as the sound goes. But I just, I enjoyed the energy for sure. So then I went to, there was some downtime. But for my downtime, I went to the Todd and Brent meet and greet slash experience. And they had decided to do something very, very unique. Neil wanted not just, you know, do a photo op, sign a bunch of stuff, blah, 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 blah. It's like, can you do something that you just wouldn't get anywhere else, right? And these guys are talented musicians, obviously, so they could probably do whatever they want. So there was only about 15 of us, I would think, 15 to 20 of us. First, you went through, got the photo, and then you sat down for like a little, I guess, a little musical interlude, we'll call it that. And it was all while you were drinking Todd's coffee that he was selling, which I didn't end up getting any of it. So I got to figure out how to get some some of that coffee because it was strong. <laughs> I, I tried it with no sugar and cream. Ooh, that thing almost knocked me on my ass. I, I had to put some sugar and cream in that stuff. Tony downed it like it was going out of style. I'm like, damn, that's strong coffee. The musical interlude was Todd on ukulele, Brent Fitz on bass ukulele. And they did Coming Home forever beth and november ring and first of all amazing storytellers type thing in between each song those two are funny as funny as can be and i didn't know this they're childhood friends they've known each other forever i knew that they had known each other for a while i didn't know they were childhood friends and it really showed at the experience and it was amazing i like todd and brent both i had conversations with both of them throughout the weekend and they're just cool dudes i mean i just i like both of them as people in the conversations that i've had they're very cool and uh yeah they grew up there together in canada in uh one of the what do they call it territories so then saturday night the lineup was supposed to be pretty boy floyd vixen and Vinny. but then we got an email that said Vinny's going to go on first and that was because they were going to use the creature's tank that the drum set was on during the Creatures tour, and they had a replica, and they had it built, and they were going to dismantle it for the other two bands. And they couldn't put it together in time enough. It would have been too long uh, before Vinny would have got on stage. So Vinny went first. Right, and the email went out approximately maybe two hours before 7, I think. Probably around uh, 4 or 5, maybe, the email went out. Yeah, which is fair. I mean, you know, they knew it. They said it, right? Yeah. I mean, look, it's 2022. So who's not checking their email on their phone? We all are. 
So the line starts just like if you've been to any of these conventions, you know, oh, the hell, the Monsters Rock, the same thing happens. The line starts and the line's going forever. We decided to just kind of stay out of line. Some of us got some food. Some of us had a guitar pick war against uh, the Kiss Live Auction guys and Joe Adele, and they lost miserably because they don't know how to throw picks. Um, so the waiting was, it was quite a while. And then the waiting and the waiting, and I think it was, you know, a little bit of got to still put the tank together. It was probably a little bit of, hey, you know, somebody's got to probably check the coating on it. Who knows? I, I I don't know. Then we got into where you're waiting kind of at the doors to get into the venue, and there was another 40 to 45 minutes of wait there. Um, you know, people just drinking and stuff, and we took a bunch of pictures, right? Right. Okay. So originally, uh, the thing was supposed to start at 7. So as Sonny said, people started lining up and this line started at the doors to get into the hallway where the, you know, the concert hall is. So they didn't even have security open at this point. Right. So the line was long as hell. And I think it was way past seven when they finally opened that up. So probably 730, they finally opened up the hallway to the concert hall, which is it's not huge. So when they opened that up and they got people through security, the thought was, okay, well, we should be able to go straight into the concert hall once they open the gates to security. But that wasn't the case. As Sonny said, they corralled everybody into this tight area with the concert doors closed. So everybody was packed in there. It was hot as hell. And we stood there for like 40 minutes or so. To me, it was completely ridiculous. I wish they would have never opened the doors to security and we would have just been able to sit in the lobby, at least have a place to sit and relax until they were ready whenever that was going to be. But anyway. Yeah, and I'm sure, and I know you realize this, you know, their intent wasn't to have you wait somewhere else. I'm sure they were thinking it was going to happen fairly quickly, but, you know, who knows? So now the problem is Vinny has a history of possibly not coming to things or canceling things. Now, he doesn't usually do it on the spot. Usually it happens way ahead of time, but I can't erase the history. The history's out there, right? So you have a bunch of Kiss Crazy fans, 700 or 800 of them, start yapping about what's happening with Vinny and every rumor's out there, right? He's not here. That's why we're here. Like all kinds of crazy stuff because <laughs> people just start spinning. It's a, they don't have anything better to do. So they just, and they're getting drunker and drunker as the time goes by. So the spinning is getting crazy. And then the doors open. And I will tell you, and I know you've been to a bunch of concerts. Between the two of us, we maybe have been to 1,500, 2,000 concerts in our life. Easily. I don't know about you. I have never walked into a venue just as the doors open. I was VIP. So that means I'm one of the few people that are getting in first. And the guy was already playing. So he was playing as people were entering. I've never had that happen. So let me draw the picture for you here. As people are coming in, Vinny is on the tank. There is no drum set on the tank. He is on the tank by himself. He's got the pink V. He is going to town shredding. My guess is he was shredding already before the doors even opened. And they just opened the doors. So you're walking into Vinny shredding. Well, first, so let me paint a little bit more of a specific picture. There are two entry points into the concert hall. One is for the VIP, which is midway 
in the middle there so that they can go up front. And then you have to go all the way to the back of the hall. And there's another entrance to the back of the room where all the general admission people can enter. So there's two access points into this concert hall. They finally opened the doors after we had been waiting for 45 minutes and people had been drinking and people are hot and people are tired of standing, whatever. So the room starts to move. And when I say the room starts to move, the entire room starts to move and people go to where they're basically going to enter the hall. Those that are VIP know that they're going to enter in the middle of the hall. And those of us that are general admission, we're going to enter in the back. So we got to go all the way to the back of this room and enter through the back door. So that was happening. I won't say it was a mad dash because it wasn't. People were being, for the most part, pretty respectful, but it was tight and it was moving. And all this noise was going on at the same time. And it was loud. I mean, he's shredding. He's shredding the guitar to bits. So add that to the confusion, right? So you add this loud shredding guitar to the confusion of everybody moving at once. People trying to get into the hall to see what's going on because they want to see what's going on, basically. So all this is going on at the same time. So I was in the VIP section. Stephen was in the back of the room. And... As you know, everybody's safe. Everybody got in safe. Nobody's getting hurt. None of that, right? Everybody's kind of shook off whatever the weirdness was to get into the room. And now, you know, Vinny's shredding. Later on, people were talking about, oh, he wasn't shredding. He was lip syncing the shredding, blah, blah, blah. I was five rows away from the guy. The guy was playing his guitar. Trust me. I was standing next to a guitar player. Tony was sitting right, standing right next to me saying, homie's playing guitar. Trust me. Okay. So now the shredding. You know, it gets, I'll, I'll tell, I'll say it takes five minutes to everybody to get into the venue. So I figured he was going to shred until everybody got in and then like the show would start. And then the shredding got to about seven minutes <laughs> and then to 10 minutes and then to 15 minutes. It might've been a little bit more than 15 minutes, somewhere between 15, and 20 minutes is where I would pencil the shred at. Now, if you are a Kiss fan. And you've been waiting since 2018 when Vinnie Vincent showed back up to see if he can shred because of all of the stuff online about he can't play, he can't play. I've said it myself. The guy can still shred. He proved it. But to me, and this is my personal big whoop, that's not what I love Vinnie for. I love Vinnie for the songwriting, the riffs, and the, the songs that he played on and wrote, right? I'm not the noodling. I, I could take it or leave it. That's not why I'm there. There was people praising God, crying. There was some guy next to us crying. I mean, I guess it all hits people differently. Did you need the 15 to 20 minutes of noodling? Well, so I'll say this. The shredding part, here's what it sounded like to me. Was he shredding? Uh, sure. Okay. But to me, and yes, this isn't unlike what Vinny was back in the 80s. There weren't any scales or anything really being played. It literally sounded like he turned the amp up, turned the distortion up, and just did his fingers as quick as he could. I mean, it was stuff like when I was first learning how to play guitar, I would do because it sounded cool, but I wasn't really a guitar player or very good. It just, it's just, it's just, if somebody got on a guitar and went, you know, on the string, you know, uh, yeah. 
I guess, but there wasn't much context to it. Instrumentalists that shred, there's context to their soloing. You know, there's scales and there's different progressions and things like that. And I didn't hear any of that. I just heard uh, in every sense of the word, the definition of shred. That's what I heard. Uh, my ears were shredded with what he was performing. No, I didn't need 15 or 20 minutes of somebody going. And you know what? To be fair, I didn't get 15 or 20 minutes of shredding. I got about five minutes of shredding once I got in the room. And here's why. <laughs> so I come in the room and if you know me at all, I really don't usually shoot a ton of pictures and or video just because I like to live in the moment. Occasionally, I like to share a picture or video with listeners just because it's fun for me to share those things when I can. So I do it every so often. So I felt like when I walked in the room, my intention was, okay, this is somewhat of a historic moment. People might enjoy seeing what I'm seeing. Let me at least shoot a couple of minutes of what I'm seeing and share it out there to our Facebook page. I walk in the room and I'm in the back of the room and I get set up and I pull my phone out along with probably 50 other people, right? Because <laughs> there's phones all over the place going up. You can see them. I pull my phone up and I start to shoot and out of the corner of my eye, I catch this female security guard running at me going, no video, no, no photos, no. And she takes a swipe at my phone and literally almost knocks it out of my hand. I pull my phone down and I said, don't touch my phone. And immediately she freaked out on me. She immediately like there was no, hey, there was no calmness about her. There was no, hey. The artist has asked us not to shoot video or photos. There was none of that. It was chaos from the get-go. I wasn't the only one. There was a guy standing two feet away from me who had a super nice camera, like expensive camera, and she almost knocked that to the ground. And she goes, no video, no, no shooting photos or video. Put your phone away now. Put your phone away now. After she knocked it, almost knocked it out of my hand, I said, don't ever touch my phone. Don't put your hands on my phone. She freaked out. She goes, leave now. I said, I'm not leaving. She goes, leave now. Get out. And she started cussing at me. Then she put her hand on my arm and grabbed my arm as to escort me out. Now, for those of you that don't know me, I'm 6'1", and I'm close to 300 pounds. So I can be sort of menacing. <laughs> I'm not the easiest figure to move. So I basically didn't move. She grabbed my arm, tried to escort me out, and basically I didn't move anywhere. Said I'm not going anywhere because in my eyes, I wasn't doing anything wrong. Uh, and I asked her not to put her hands on me at that point because, I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't want her hands on me. She freaked out. She went, slapped some other cameras down. She came back to me because here's a tip. When you go to concerts, don't wear a bright yellow kiss shirt because you can be picked out of the crowd. So, <laughs> so she came She came right back to me uh, because, you know, she can spot me from across the room. <laughs> and at this point, I wasn't even continuing to shoot video or anything. I had my phone in my pocket. And in fact, if you look on my phone camera roll, I didn't take any video or any pictures, none, zero, but she didn't even ask me that. So she goes, I told you to leave, leave right now. I'm going to get the cops. I'm like, for what? 
She goes, you're going to jail. I said, uh, for what <laughs> exactly are you going to try and send me to jail? Then she pulled something out of her pocket. It was dark. I couldn't tell what she pulled out. At first, I thought it was a pepper spray. I was like, are you serious right now? You're going to pepper spray me? It wasn't a taser. She wasn't, she didn't have a gun. And if she did, she didn't pull a gun. So I wasn't like, it wasn't to that point. Somebody said, could it have been a flashlight? I don't think so. It didn't look like a flashlight. It was tubular, but it had certain markings that didn't look like a flashlight. So I don't think that's what it was at any rate. So then two cops came in, two big cops that were strapped, came in, grabbed me, escorted me out. I walked out willingly with them because I wasn't about to get in a freaking tussle over this shit. I walked out willingly. I had a conversation with the cop. I said, I've not done anything wrong. They're like, she's told us we got to throw you out. I said, for what exactly? Well, nobody could give me any concrete answers. And from what I understand, they were telling people when they were going in not to shoot video or photos, but there was nothing posted. There was no communication sent out. And if people were at the door yelling no photos and no video, there's no freaking way everybody was going to hear that because like I told you before, there was shredding going on and people were rushing to get in. So I absolutely heard nothing about it. Zero until I was escorted out. Then I heard about it. So once I got escorted out, I had this conversation with the cop and he threatened to take me in. He's basically like, I'm going to have to arrest you if you don't leave. And I said, for what exactly? And he told me criminal trespassing. And I was like criminal trespassing to a concert that I paid to go see. (laughs) So, so it was completely absurd from the get go. I mean, I was like, part of the problem is, is that being that I have a background in concert security, I kind of know what you can and can't do. And so I basically just stood my ground. I said, look, I've done nothing wrong at all. I paid for this concert. It's not like I was drinking. I hadn't had an ounce of alcohol the entire night. I wasn't fighting. I wasn't being belligerent. I wasn't uh, messing with any other patrons. I was basically doing nothing. And they deemed it that I needed to be escorted out. So back and forth, we went. I went and said, I need to talk to supervisors. I want to talk to supervisors who know what's going on. Otherwise, I'm going to call a lawyer and I'm going to call a cop because this is ridiculous. So they basically said, well, you can go outside and you can call a cop and file a police report. Uh, They wouldn't give me the name of the person that threw me out. (laughs) I could hardly see her. So I said, okay, I got my wife. My wife came out, met me. We walked out to the end of the hallway. So out of the venue to them is basically at the end of the hallway. (laughs) because they know they can't throw you out of a hotel if you're a hotel guest, which I didn't happen to be a hotel guest, but that's all they did. So I went and I sat at the end of the hallway for probably 20 minutes, basically, while this Vinny thing was going on. And then I was figuring out, you know, how I wanted to handle it. I had told the security guard, I want to talk to one of the people in charge at Creatures Fest. That was my concourse. I wasn't leaving until I did that. So eventually Rosie Luck, our favorite Rosie Luck, who was everywhere all the time, she came by. She must have had heard what went on. She basically knelt down. I could tell in her eyes that she knew that what had happened wasn't right. (laughs) 
<laughs> so she came back. She apologized. She said, yes, I know. I told her you got a loose cannon on your on your hands, basically talking about that security guard. I explained my story that I just shared with y'all. And she goes, let me walk you back in there. So she walked me and my wife back in there. She walked us past all the security who, by the way, at this point, all knew that they were supposed to be looking out for me. <laughs> so I was on the wanted list at this point. And every time we walked by somebody, they asked her, is he good to go now? And she told him, yes, no problem. He's good to go. She walked me back in. I caught cold gin with Ace on stage. I think that was the last thing that I caught from this whole debacle. I think maybe Strutter or Deuce or something at the end. Did they? Did he play that? They did Deuce before Cold Gin. Okay, so I think I caught Deuce and Cold Gin at the end. And my noticing uh, what was going up there on stage, I was like, okay, this is just weird. I saw Vinny. I saw Ace. I saw a bass player running around. I saw somebody singing, which I thought the bass player was singing and was really good. But somebody else said that he wasn't singing, that it was a backtrack. Is that right? Yeah. So let me tell you what you missed. Okay. So as you're working your drama out, yeah, he's still noodling. He stops after about 15, 20 minutes, depending on who you believe. And then here comes a bass player. His name is Shane Smith. And mm -hmm. I guess he plays, he must play Gene in a Kiss tribute band somewhere in Nashville, maybe. Okay. You know, strapping guy, good looking guy, you know, can play the bass for sure, knows how to sing, all of that. So they start with, I love it loud. And what you notice immediately is, well, if Vinny's standing on top of the tank, there's no drums. And I'm not even sure a drum set would have fit on top of the tank without hitting the top of the ceiling. Right. You know, I don't know if that was measured, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. All right. I got to give that up to whoever is handling all that. So then I see no drum set, but a drum track has just started. So I'm like, okay, I get it. Vinny's going to use drum tracks instead of a drummer. Okay, whatever. That's fine. So then the bass player's out there. They're doing I Love It Loud. And it's time for the vocal. And there's nobody on the mic. And it's Gene's voice. So both the drum was tracked and they used Gene's vocal track. <laughs> That's unbelievable. So just a side note about Shane Smith. I didn't even know his last name. I knew his name was Shane. So earlier in the day, I'm sitting in the lobby, myself and Jen, Tom and Zeus. We all start talking, right? We all start going, what do we think we're going to see? What do we, you know, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? You know, we just start sharing this. To my left on the couch is a gentleman and his girlfriend or wife, and he's just eating. He's eating a salad and uh, just, you know, he's eating away and stuff like that. And he's wearing a Creatures Fest t-shirt. And we started talking about merchandising and stuff like that. And Tom asked him, says, hey, man, where'd you get that Creatures Fest shirt? And he goes, well, I'm sort of working for the event. And he goes, oh, okay. And he goes, uh. I thought maybe there was merchandise for sale somewhere, but I'd heard they sold out. And so he goes back to Eaton and we let it go. And then eventually I go, so you're working for the event? You're working for Creatures Fest or what? And he's sort of vague with his answers and stuff. And I'm like, okay. And I mean, I know all the bands that are playing for the most part, and he doesn't look like anybody that's in any of the bands that are playing. I pretty much knew you know, I know all, everybody that's in the bands that are playing. And so I found that kind of interesting. And so Tom and Zeus and I, we start messing around and we start figuring out, well, this guy's 
either high up in the chain and he's working, you know, with Neil Smith or he's in Vinny's band. And so we start messing around and going, yeah, my name is Chuck Smith and this is Jim Smith. And we start changing our names because we've been saying a whole bunch of stuff with him sitting right there and he's sort of just being quiet and taking all that in. So we just start kind of having a good time with him basically. And he was nice and chuckled and, you know, smiling and stuff like that. So he walks away. He he and his girlfriend head off or his wife, whoever. They head off and uh, we finish our conversation. And then Tom and Zeus leave. And about five or 10 minutes later, Jen and I are sitting there. And here comes this guy walking through the lobby again. This time he's carrying a guitar. And <laughs> and he, he looks over at me at the couch. He looks over at me and Jen at the couch and kind of smiles and laughs and just keeps on walking like to the concert hall. Basically, he was going to sound check. So I looked at Jen. I'm like, holy shit, that guy's in Vinny's band. I bet you a thousand dollars. And sure enough, when Jen got Jen and I got in there after all the drama and debacle, Jen goes, <laughs> points to that guy up on the riser, goes, That's the dude that was sitting right next to y'all. <laughs> sure enough it was him so that was interesting then i talked to him in the restaurant after it was all over and uh he told me yeah his name is shane and uh you know we just had a couple words and uh said did you enjoy yourself he said yeah it was fun it was interesting and that was pretty much it but back to the Vinny set is there anything you got to add to this because overall it is what it is. It was tainted a little bit for me just because of all the ridiculousness and all the drama. So there you go. That's my two cents. I got thrown out of a bar in New York City. Now, when I say I got thrown out of a bar, I don't mean somebody asked me to leave and we walked to the door together. And I said, bye, everybody. I got to go. Six bouncers hurled me out of a nightclub like I was a Frisbee. Those big old bouncers that go home every night, watch Roadhouse and beat off. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Patrick Swayze's hitting another guy. <laughs> For wearing a hat. I walk into a bar with a hat on. This guy real pissy goes, tuck off the hat. But he walked away and like an hour later, I'd been drinking and I forgot. You ever forget? Happened to me. I put the hat back on. The guy comes over to me. Now, I'm between 6'1 and 6'6, depending on which convenience store I'm leaving. <laughs> I weigh 235 pounds. This guy comes over to me, poking me in the shoulder with two fingers, says, you're out of here. I was like, I don't think so, fucker. <laughs> and I was wrong. They hurled my And then they squared off with me in the parking lot, and I backed down from the fight, because I don't know how many of them it would have taken to whip my ass. But I knew how many they were going to use. That's a handy little piece of information to have right there. All right, so after I Love It Loud, Bruce comes on, and they're going to do War Machine. Now... There's still no drummer, so there's a drum track. And as you know, how the lick starts playing off the drums on War Machine, if you're not used to playing with a track, it's hard to kind of get started. 
and Bruce struggled getting started with the track. You could even see him mouth, God damn it. Like he couldn't figure out exactly where he was. So it took him a minute to get there. And War Machine also, drum track, vocal track. So all they did was basically play to the track. So War Machine gets done, Ace joins. And Ace thought they were going to start with Cold Gin. So he starts playing Cold Gin. And the drum track hadn't started because he started with the wrong song. Uh So he's all the way through like the first section of Cold Gin. And the first verse is supposed to start. And he realizes the drum track's not playing. So Ace gets in to the mic and says, what happened to the drum track? What happened to the drum track? Right. So if you didn't know it was a drum track, you knew it now for sure. Cause Ace <laughs> just outed it. Okay. So they're like, well, no, 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 we're playing, you know, somebody comes up to him and says, we're playing deuce instead. He goes, oh, okay. So he starts deuce and the drum track didn't start at the time that he needed it to start, or he was either ahead or behind it. We couldn't tell. Yeah. So they stopped again. He comes to the mic. I can play any song you want. All we need is a drummer. I can play anything. I just need a, a drummer. I was on the floor. Dude, Ace is so funny. The guy's got no filter. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so then they started Deuce back up with the drum track, and this time the bass player sang, and he sounded great. Then they did Cold Gin, and the bass player sang, and Ace sang part of it too, and they sounded great. Vinny, you know, through all of Deuce, he seemed like he was playing. Through Cold Gin, he kind of stopped playing for a while because both Bruce and Ace were doing parts back and forth, so he was kind of pointing at them as they were going because he's still standing where the drum set's supposed to be. Ace and Bruce are on the stage, so he's kind of standing above them and making this, like if you wanted to draw the Def Leppard triangle, you could draw it right there kind of thing. And that that was really the whole show for me. I think it's weird to have a drum track playing. I guess he's the artist. He gets to choose what he wants to do there. I think it's weird to have Gene's vocal on two of the songs. The, you know, that's on them. If I had my choice, it would have been a full set, just like we're going to talk about on the last day or quarantine. You come out, you do eight to 11 songs, you mix it in with Vinnie Vincent Invasion, blah, blah, blah. You do some riffing, you do some soloing, you do whatever you got to do to make it a normal show that anybody could see. So for their side, they did something very unique. It didn't land with me. I think there are people that landed with, because I'm telling you, there was people in the crowd crying. <laughs> yeah, look, I heard a lot of negativity and I understand. Don't get me wrong. I get it. But I think there was also a lot of positivity. You know, I said, what measures success, right? Unless you have specific criteria that defines it, you know, success means a lot of different things to people. And so just Vinny showing up to the venue could be success for somebody. Just Vinny getting on stage with a guitar and playing and shredding electric could be success for some people. To me personally, what I would have liked to have said, well, I would have liked to have not been threatened to be thrown in jail. That's the first thing (laughs) for going to a concert. That I would appreciate. But for me personally, I would have loved to have seen Vinny with just a flat out band. I don't even care if he used Bruce's band or the or Ace's band, uh, because either one of them could have pulled it off. But, you know, do lick it up front to back. I would have been super happy with that. Like I would have been stoked about that. You know, 
that would have been great to me. All this other stuff, all this fanfare, all this crazy tank, everything, you know, people were complaining that the tank didn't fire off pyro like it did in the video. Well, shit, I could have told you that wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to be able to do that in a hotel ballroom. Come on, people. So that didn't surprise me at all. I thought the tank looked cool, but I didn't necessarily need it. I would have been super happy with him getting up there with a band and knocking out, lick it up front to back, period. End of story. So it was just okay for me. And like I said, it was tainted by everything else that happened beforehand. And I'll just, I'll take the time out to say thank you, Rosie Luck, for realizing that uh, what had happened was incorrect and helping to right a wrong in some way. So that's my two cents. So Vinny gets off stage. They dismantled most of the tank. And then Pretty Boy Floyd's on next. And I was eating, well, prime rib quesadillas. <laughs> did you get kicked out of pretty boy floyd i did not i was good to go after that point so no i stuck my head in for a few songs of pretty boy floyd to be honest they look like the crowd was digging them they seemed to be going over pretty well they had energy they're just not my ball of wax i think the they're a little bit over the top sleaze for me so i don't love them but I caught a couple of songs. It sounded fine. The crowd seemed to like them. There you go. Uh, and keep in mind, at this point, it's getting super late. Like, we were told at one point that the hotel had an 11 o'clock hard stop for the music in the ballrooms. But that never held true because it ran over, definitely ran over that night. Maybe not the first night, but definitely night two, it ran way over and night three as well. So they never held to it, but it was super late. I think Pretty Boy Floyd went on somewhere around like 1030 maybe and played a regular set. And we still had Vixen to go after that. And as you said, Vixen was next and I thought they did a great job. They always do. Tyson Leslie uh, uh, up there with the four lovely ladies. And, you know, this whole thing about it being late and, you know, the next day got kind of long in the two, too. But, you know, you got Ace and Peter and Vinny there. I'm sure they're wonderful people. They are divas. They're rock star divas, really. It's hard to keep these guys in check and on time. You know what I mean? Yeah, basically. I mean, look, these guys aren't necessarily doing these conventions because they have to. They're doing them, yes, of course, to pick up a little extra money, but also to in some way connect them with the fans a little bit face to face, because I don't really necessarily see Peter and Ace being big social media guys, although Ace posts a lot more than Peter does these days. But, uh, you know, they're old. They're not social media dudes. They're not surfing Facebook constantly like the younger generation. So their opportunity to communicate is to, you know, be on stage or press the flesh with fans. And so that's, uh, this gives them the opportunity to do that. So that's how they do it. I thought Fixin was good as always. Tyson Leslie had the opportunity to be perched way up high on one of the tank treads, which he probably appreciated. <laughs> hey everyone, this is Britt Lightning from Vixen and you're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast. Crank it up. So then we come to Sunday. Sunday starts off in Expo City. Uh, with the Kiss Army fan band. So it was 19 people total doing 11 songs. And, you know, you get the fans involved, and they're not professional musicians, or they're folks that wanted to be but didn't make it. It was fine. Overall, they did well. But, man, that first song, when that, what what was he, 10 or 11 years old, came out and uh, 
killed Ace's parts. Dude, he, wow. I thought that 10-year-old kid was awesome. Yeah, so I didn't see any of the Kiss Army fan band, so you were the only one that got to see any of that. I missed that completely. Yeah, it was good for what it was. It's just like a cover band with a bunch of friends kind of thing, but it was not a train wreck as something like that could be. For sure, I would have thought it would be, which is why I didn't attend. (laughs) (laughs) So then second, we get Enough's Enough doing a Beatles set, and I literally lasted three-fourths of a song. I gave it a shot. (laughs) Three-fourths of a song. That was all you want to get from me. And I'm like, I'm done. I would have thought it was time for another prime rib quesadilla. (laughs) That's exactly where I went when I said hi to you on the way out. You're like, man, you lasted a song and a half. I said, nope, three-fourths of a song. (laughs) Uh, I went and enjoyed some of it, and I did enjoy it. Uh, I thought they sounded great, and I enjoy the Beatles. So Enough's Enough doing Beatles is cool with me, Uh, and it was you know, the perfect time of the day for me. There was nothing else really going on, so I enjoyed it there in Expo City. I caught probably the majority of the set, to be honest. That was it. Then we went and found a place to sit for a little while because, you know, got to rest our feet when there's nowhere to sit. So then Trickster was next. Uh, it was supposed to be an acoustic show with Steve Brown and PJ Farley. It did end up being that. And you know what? I realized those Trickster songs are pretty good, but I did not spend enough time with them. Those I did not. I don't know the first album that well. And they did a bunch of stuff off the first album because I think it's the 30th anniversary or something like that. And wow, I guess I should listen to that album a little bit more. Well, they did some cool stuff with this Trickster Acoustic, because not only did they play stuff from the first record, but they also played some stuff from here, the second record. And then they also played some stuff from one of the uh, more recent albums. Audio Machine, I think, is the name of the record. But because I personally, I don't have a problem with Trickster. They're pretty consistent with me. I like the majority of their stuff, actually, the first record I thought was good. I actually like here a lot, even probably better than the first one. Sonically, it sounds better, even though it did way worse than the first album because, you know, it was the time. But their more recent albums, which when I say recent, I'm, I mean within the last 20 years or so, their more recent albums have a lot of good stuff on them as well. So I don't really know. I know that camp is basically split down the middle pj and steve on one side and pete and gus on the other side so i'm a little surprised that they were actually able to bill it as trickster but we'll see how that all plays out and then next we had the kiss comedy show which is really punchlines and backlines with courtney cronin dold and izzy presley as a partnership having rock stars do a comedy set for the first time and i would say There was five comedians. Four did really well. So Courtney killed. Dude, Todd Kearns absolutely smashed. He was easily the hate of the show. I'm telling you, Zach did well. He killed too. Craig Gass was always awesome. But Todd, very similar to how Winger was on Mork, absolutely had the crowd in his hands. What'd you think? Yes, I really enjoyed Todd and uh, Zach. I thought they both did really well for their first time. And Courtney is funny as always. I think Courtney is underratedly funny or unassumingly funny. Like, uh, she's just, she makes me laugh every time. And then, uh, yeah, Craig Gass is good as always. So I enjoy that comedy break within all the music. It's fun for me and it's fun for my wife as well. Yeah, I think uh, that definitely works. So, 
I'm going to tell you a quick story since we're on Kiss Comedy. So, you know, we're we're friends together. Some of us have never met. Like, it was the first time Joey and Casada and I had met, right? It was the first time you and Zeus and Tommy had met. So there was, you know, there's new friendships starting. There's friendships strengthening. So there's all kinds of goofiness going on. And <laughs> I come up with an idea. Zeus is sitting in the center, and Joey was on one side, and I was on the other side. I signaled to Joey, let's take a picture with Zeus with us kissing him on the cheeks. Okay, you got Zeus looking straight ahead, each of us kissing him on the cheek, and somebody snaps a picture. So that's what we did. Picture gets snapped. Zeus goes, okay, Casada, your lips are cold and they're wet. That's weird. (laughs) Okay, so Joey's like, my lips can't be cold. I was drinking coffee. How could they be cold? And then he touched his nose and realized the lips never got to Zeus because his nose hit him. (laughs) And his nose is cold. <laughs> that was way oh more. That was way more information than I even wanted. Casada <laughs> on that nose. I will say this: there were a lot of firsts for me at this convention. First time I met Tom and Zeus in person. Obviously, we've been friends for the past couple years, right? Uh, and been on many uh, conversations and chats and podcasts together. Casada, the same thing. Uh, he's been on our podcast several times. We've talked many times, but uh, it's the first time that I met Joey in person. Joey has got to be one of the nicest damn people uh, we met all weekend. You meet that guy, it's like part of the family. He's instantly like your brother. You know, I felt like I knew the guy for years uh, when we met him and talked to him. Super, super nice. Love Joey Casada. Fun weekend overall, for sure. And then Sunday night, we start the nighttime concerts with Sisters Doll. So three brothers from Australia, first time playing the States. They walk out. Well, they didn't walk out. They played all of Hello America before they even hit the stage. They hit the stage and there's no bass player. And it's like, uh-oh, what is going on here? I did not hear a bass track. Did you hear a bass track? I didn't hear a bass track. I did. I did hear a bass track. And it took me a few minutes to notice because my initial thought was, hey, there's three brothers in the band. One of them's playing bass. One of them's playing guitar. Until I looked a little closer and said, oh, wait a minute. They're both playing guitar. They're both got six strings. What's up with that? But yes, I did hear a bass track, at least on the first uh, song, because that was the first thing I noticed. I'm like, oh, man, you're killing me with this. Yeah. See, I didn't hear a bass track. And then because later on, Austin... The other guitar player, so it's Brennan, Austin, and Bryce. That's the three guys. Brennan is lead vocals and guitar. Austin plays either bass or guitar, depending on what's going on. And then Bryce plays drums. Because later on, Austin picks up the bass and plays bass for a couple of songs and then goes back to the guitar. So I never heard a bass track, but my ears aren't that good either, so it doesn't matter. So they did King of Hearts. Dude, they killed King of Hearts. I thought they did that really well. Brandon was doing this little sword thing that he lit on fire, which was very Gene Simmons light, which was kind of interesting. He didn't breathe the fire, but it was like, it was almost like a lighter that lit on fire. It was a little, a little weird. Brandon has all the Paul Stanley moves down. Good Lord. That guy is Paul Stanley plus Dave Benichetti kind of looking guy. Peter Chris joins them and they do Don't Let Me Down uh, words. And what's interesting here, a couple of interesting things. Sister's Doll was absolutely smashing and they were Killer song after killer song after killer song. We didn't know most of them because I don't know a lot of their music. We obviously knew King of Hearts. Peter comes, does Don't Let Me Down. And I love Peter, but just the song tempo 
just kind of sucked the energy out of the room, didn't you think? A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. You know, it's Peter's song and it's a good song, but it was just a shame that it was a little bit slower, I guess. And then the funny thing happened. So they're going to the next song and Peter is using this like percussion instrument while he does the next song and he couldn't find it. So he's frantically kind of looking around to try to find this thing. It was in his back pocket <laughs> and they pointed to him and they, it's in your back pocket. And Peter gets on mic and goes, I'm old. <laughs> what, what can you do? <laughs> at least he's honest. Yeah, at least he's honest. And then they did words, which is even slower than don't let me down. So it just took some of the energy out of the room. The problem for me with Sisters Doll was this. I thought they were young. They were energetic. The bass thing really turned me off. Maybe I didn't hear bass track, but I was pretty sure I heard a bass track on that first song. I couldn't tell whether the singer was just pulling Paul Stanley's shtick because it's a kiss convention or whether that's how he really is. So I wasn't sure because I've never seen Sister Doll before, so I didn't know uh, whether that's how he is normally or whether he's just pulling the shtick. I enjoyed a lot of their music. They did do a great job with the kiss tunes that they played. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were young and energetic and uh, decent players, So, and the crowd loved them. So I was okay with Sister's Doll. And great harmonies throughout the whole set. Yep. I only have two complaints on Sister's Doll. One they can do something about, one they can't. The two complaints, Peter, Chris, I mean, if he's going to come do songs, can you do like Hooligan and Hooked on Rock and Roll? Does it have to be two slow songs? And that's when uh, Austin picked up the bass and he was playing the bass because if you don't play the bass and don't let me down, which is basically under the boardwalk, the song's nothing without the bass. Yeah. Right? So you had to play the bass. Yep. But the thing that they can do something about is if you're going to do Lick It Up, they kill Lick It Up. Don't get me wrong. Don't do the who thing in the middle. Come on. I hate that goddamn thing. I hate it when Kiss does it. <laughs> but whatever. So then Sisters Doll's done. They overall did very, very well. Like I said, it went to the merch booth and bought everything they had. And then I wasn't planning on checking out Quiet Ride at all because I'm just not a Jizzy Pearl fan at all. But I'm like, okay, I'll be sorry if I didn't check them out. They had all kinds of travel issues and they, you know, worked through all of the obstacles they had to get there. So the least I can do is go poke my head in. They started with Run for Cover and Jizzy actually sounded okay. So I'm like, oh, well, maybe this won't be so bad. And what's interesting is while I'm talking, Sister's Doll, Brennan, just accepted my friend request on Facebook. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Um, anyway. Then they go to Slick Black Cadillac. I heard two lines and I'm like, I'm done with Jizzy. I, I'm like, oh my God, this is so bad. <laughs> I'm sure the Quiet Ride guys are great. This music sounded great. I just can't, I can't listen to Jizzy. Did you listen to the whole show? So here's where you and I are going to differ hugely. I'm not a huge Quiet Riot fan. I do like Jizzy Pearl and I do like uh, Love Hate, which you and I differ on that. But I went intending on just checking out a couple songs, just to say I saw it with Sarzo. And the last time I saw Quiet Riot was the Kevin Dubrow version, because I haven't seen them since Kevin Dubrow. They opened up with Run for Cover, just like Sonny said, and I stayed. I thought they were amazing. I thought they had great energy. I thought the songs sounded great. I thought Jizzy did a fantastic job as a front man. He moved around. He got the crowd going. And his voice, to me, he sounded exactly like Kevin Dubrow. At one point, it was either on Come On, Feel the Noise or, or Mental Health or something. At one point, I looked over to Chip, who was there as well, and I said, he sounds exactly like Dubrow. 
And he goes, yeah, I thought it was uncanny how much he sounded like to bro on that stuff. So I thought they were great. They were the surprise of the weekend for me. I stayed for the whole show. I went intending on just checking out a couple of songs and I stayed for the whole thing. And, and their set was great because it was roughly 40, maybe 45 minutes. They came in and just killed it. They played pretty much all the hits and they played Wild and Free. I think the name of the tune is off Quiet Riot 3, which I like a lot. The Wild and the Young. The Wild and the Young. Thank you. They played that and I like that song a lot. So yeah, I mean, overall they were for me. Yeah. Jizzy doesn't work for me. So then to close out the night and Creatures Fest in whole, the Bruce Kulick band closes out the festivities and they decide to do revenge front to back. So Bruce Kulick band, as you know, Todd Kearns on vocals and guitar, Bruce Kulick on guitar. You got Zach thrown on vocals and bass. And then you got Brent Fitz on drums. Zach does really all of the gene parts. Todd does all of the Paul parts. They're going through revenge. They had Peter join them on drums in the middle to do hooked on rock and roll. So I thought it was a good idea to have him kind of in the middle of the revenge thing versus have him at the end. And then at the end, instead of ending with Car Jam, because the album ends with Car Jam, they did part of Car Jam and then part of Stored and Stone left. But because they absolutely killed the crowd and hands down were the best band of the weekend, they came back and did Tears Are Falling, Crazy Nights, and Turn On The Night for an encore. I thought Bruce's band smashed yeah so i don't think there's any big surprise here i think they did a fantastic job looking back on it i think personally i would have rather had the opportunity to get something like the kiss cruise set where you get a variety of stuff instead of just the one album for the most part but i enjoyed it nonetheless my wife and i was sitting there and uh, we were trying to figure out Every time they'd play a song on Revenge, we'd be like, okay, how many times have we heard this song this weekend? Because we, we know for a fact, Domino and Thou Shalt Not and what else? There was something else that we had heard like basically two or three times throughout the weekend, either like on the acoustic set or somebody else was playing it. So we were trying to count and figure out how many times we had heard some of those songs already played. But you know, they were killer. I enjoyed it either way. Uh, that was my only uh, comment regarding that. All right. So we've been talking a lot about Kiss, but let's go to the Kisstoric moment. You wanted the best and you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss. It's time for your Kisstoric moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the historic moment, as you heard before, I did a meet and greet with Quarantine. And, you know, Joe, obviously, is a friend of the show. We know Joe McGinnis from way back. But this was the first time I was meeting Chris Jericho. And I'll tell you, the guy's a sweetheart. You know, between me and Casada always busting on each other and me and Jericho always busting each other, this was the first time we'd ever I'd ever met those two guys. And Chris was nothing but a sweetheart of a guy. Sweetheart to Danny. Danny loves the guy. Took his time signing our stuff, talked to us for a while, took a bunch of pictures with us. He had to fly in and out. He flew in Friday night and he left Saturday late afternoon because I think he had to go to a Vegas for some sort of event. So really to do that kind of fly in out, be part of the festivities, kill it with the quarantine band and really make his fans happy during the meet and greet. I thought Chris Jericho, all aces of my book. Here is quarantine with their latest single with their version of Silver Spoon. 
So you can't have a Kiss-centric episode without having a Kiss-Dork moment. Of course, if you're new to the show, we have Kiss-Dork moments on every episode. But hey, well played, my friend. Silver Spoon by Quarantine. Perfect timing for this song to be played as the Kiss-Dork movement. Thought they nailed this uh, live, and uh, I enjoy it. I'm glad they took the gospel thing out of it. I'm <laughs> glad they just kind of left it rock, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. All right! So all in all, a great hang. We had a great time. You heard the reel of some of the stuff maybe we didn't enjoy as much, but there was people that enjoyed stuff that we didn't enjoy, just like I didn't enjoy Quiet Riot, but Stephen really liked them, right? I didn't go see Pretty Boy Floyd, but he thought they were all right and it sounded like there was a bunch of fans that liked them. All in all, just outstanding event. Can it be repeated? I think it would be a pain in the ass to try to get those four guys back in the same place again. And if I was Neil, I'd never do it again. Do it one time, you're done. It's a piece of history that will never be repeated and you'll be able to do it. But if conventions like this, kiss-centric type stuff uh, is fun, and it brings out the friends, and the hang is usually what it's all about. Anyway, I thought Dale, Neil, Jay, and Rosie did an amazing job setting this thing up. It's hard when you got a lot of stuff going on with a bunch of divas involved in it, and they pulled it off. I think for a first-time event, Neil and his team did a great job overall. There are positives and the negatives. So what's great about this for me personally was I don't get to go on the Kiss Cruises. So the hang was great for me. Centered around Kiss thing was great for me. I like the variety, meaning that they had a variety of different bands and it wasn't all just Kiss bands, Kiss stuff, right? So I appreciated that part of it. The communication overall, as I said, was pretty decent. I think it was fairly priced for what you got. The negatives to me were the lack of places to sit for this demographic. I thought the security was over the top and way beyond needed. And that would have been my thought, regardless of whether I got threatened to be thrown out or not for nothing. Uh, that was my thought from day one, which was before I got threatened to be thrown out. So that was my thought there. I thought a lot of the acts did great. The entertainment was good. I enjoyed myself. And overall, like I said, it's just a fun, fun weekend and a great hang with friends new and old. So that is my thought. And, you know, if they can do Monsters on the Mountain on land, which is essentially Monsters of Rock cruise on land, why couldn't they do the Kiss Cruise on land and it be some sort of a three-day event like this? Because it's very similar, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, it's a pain in the ass. And if I was Neil, I wouldn't do it again. But that's, you know, that's up to him. I will tell you for the listener, thank you for listening. If you're a new listener, thank you for trying us out. I would also tell you this is not this whole Creatures Fest review type of stuff that you're going to get from all the podcasts. This is not like everybody interviewing Michael Sweet and pretty much getting the same story. Mike's a great guy, but, you know, he's trying to promote something, so he's out there and he's on a bunch of different podcasts, but he's saying basically the same thing. This Creatures Fest thing, for every podcaster that's going to be out there putting a review type of episode together, you are going to get different stories because we weren't at everything. For instance, you didn't get a story about the Bruce meet and greet or the Peter meet and greet or the Ace meet and greet or the Vinny meet and greet because we didn't do those, but we have friends that did do them. You'll get different stories depending on what podcast you listen to. I would tell you it would be worth it to hear them all so you get the full breadth of everything that was going on. Yeah, that's it. 
because between the podcasts that were there, uh, and I'll, you know, specifically endorse podcasts like, you know, Shout Out Loudcast and uh, Slam Fest and uh, things like that, you know, Decibel, Podcast Rock City. Hello. Po- Podcast Rock City, Decibel Geek. Who am I forgetting? That's pretty much the main blunt of it all. Uh, if I forgot anybody, I apologize. But anyway, those are a lot of the folks that we hung out with. So that that's what I would promote. Uh, and, you know, enjoy it. Enjoy it for what it is, especially if you're a KISS fan. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Check us out even when we're not doing KISS stuff. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 